Welcome to Stall Warning, a show talking all things lacrosse. I am your host, Panchito Ojeda, and joined tonight by Alamo Heights head coach, who needs no introduction, Mike Brand. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. I'm stoked. It's been too long since we last spoke. I mean, we used to talk like every day. Or at least every other day, for sure. Yeah. You, you remember when we, I, I was... I was texting you about this but the you remember the that college lax radio thing we did which yeah, we like talk every day at lunch we're like scrambling like what are we gonna do today and, <laughs> oh my gosh that was a blast i i had no idea what i was doing <laughs> oh, I, had, How, I had fun I, I remember doing that from my kitchen oh that's awesome yeah i think you were at centenary when you were doing that yeah um, we were i was in shreveport louisiana talking to um, time bro chill <laughs> sweating buckets <laughs> <laughs> oh man How's San Antonio these days? San Antonio's hot. It's about mid nineties every day. Uh, which we were taking advantage of it, obviously, but uh, everybody's good in my household, so no complaints. We're very thankful considering the situation. But yeah, San Antonio's great. That's awesome, man. Are you guys going to be able to get back to uh, playing some lacrosse outside? Or are you guys still stuck in some sort of quarantine status? I don't know. I I think it's one of the few states that seems to be uh, really proactively trying to get people back out into the, you know, into society. They've already, the governor has announced that uh, youth sports clubs are going to be allowed to play. And what that means, I'm not sure. You know, I run a travel team and we're, you know, a lot of parents are hitting me up saying, did you see what the governor said? Let's get back out there. So it's, we seem to be on the, uh, like I said, the front line of getting back out there, which I don't know if I'm, happy about or sad about or hesitant to to jump back out there it's you know a lot of a lot of unanswered questions yeah i mean the the biggest question of that is probably like what's the uh san taco san antonio taco mask going to look like the what <laughs> the mask you know the you got to get your custom mask right oh yes 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 sorry i, I, I don't know we'll see are people going to try to play lacrosse with a mask under their cage i i don't i don't know I have no idea. We we've been talking about the return to play stuff for a couple of weeks now, and we kind of decided that we're like, well, we're just gonna wait to see what US Lacrosse does because I have no idea what the best policy is. I, you know, on a serious note, I'm interested to see who's who's liable in case you know one of my players comes down with it when we're at a tournament, like. Uh, that's the, the part that I'm interested to see because I certainly don't want to be responsible. And if it, you know, if it's going to be the the program's responsibility to keep your kids healthy, people are going to decide not to go. Right? The risk is greater than right. the reward. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's a it's a tough spot for everybody. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I all I know is that every lawyer I've talked to has been like, you need a lot of waivers and a lot of you know protocols to follow. But, the waivers are going to be thicker. You know, I've been to a, some tournaments where you just don't get the waiver in and they don't really chase you down. Right. I have a feeling they're, they're going to be chasing you down now. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the checks might be a little bit tighter. So, right. <laughs> awesome, man. So, and uh, you have a, a son, right? Patty, and he's five or six, right? He's five years old. We just got off the field. He uh, loves the cross. I hope he, hope him loving it now doesn't mean he's going to get burned out by the time he's in high school, but he is certainly a lacrosse player. That's awesome. You're, you're lucky. My my son goes back and forth between lacrosse and baseball, but he is a lefty, so that's always fun. Hey, baseball is better than than uh, being an e gamer in my book. 
<laughs> that that's true. Yeah, we do a lot of things outside. So, um, but uh, enough about our kids. Let's talk about you. So let's let's dive a little bit into your history, and then uh, and then we'll kind of talk about some some more current events. You know, a little look down memory lane, and then look forward. So, um, you, know, you played high school ball up in Buffalo, and then went to Buffalo State. And you, know, what was that kind of college experience like for you? Yeah, so I played club lacrosse when it was what a lot of people think it still is unorganized, honestly, unorganized, more about the beer than the actual game itself. Not a lot of guys that practice, mismatched helmets. So certain, certainly I had a lot of fun. I'm still friends with some of the guys I played with. But it wasn't the type of experience that, you know, some of my players have had in, the re- in recent years. And I certainly wish I could have had a better college across experience. Uh, you know, people say I wouldn't trade it in for the world. I would trade it in. You know, it is not a knock on the situation or the experience, but I, I, I do tell kids who go to schools who maybe don't have the most organized lacrosse club, say, hey, look at this school. You know, you're going to come out with a better experience. So uh, we had a good time. Yeah. We, 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 the, we, we play a little harder. Yeah, the off. school thing is is totally – it's totally weird. The um, – you know, it's, it's too often that we see guys be like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it in for the world, and they have these like – you know, kind of mediocre experiences. And I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I definitely traded in if I could have played a more competitive level. Yeah. So you don't know what um, you don't know when you're, when you're 16, 17 years old. So yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. You're busy being a kid. Um, right. yeah. So that's, that's cool. I mean, it's, and that obviously influenced your coaching career, you know, you had a lot of stops, but I think kind of most interestingly, you know, you kind of made your way up in the division three ranks and then you ended up at Brown for a year. You know, tell us about like what that was like going from club ball and college to coaching with, you know, at the time, Lars Tiffany, one of the greatest coaches uh, in our generation. Yeah. So every summer I would, I was coaching MCLA D2 at Centenary and Shreveport. And every summer I would put all my stuff in a storage facility. My lease would run out and I'd go without a lease for the summer and I'd work as many camps and clinics as I could every summer. And I ended up getting on the Brown camp and, um, Asking their assistant, Kip Turner, I was like, you guys don't have a volunteer. Why not? He was like, well, do you want it? And I was like, yeah. So it was funny how people were like, oh, my God, how did you do that? Even my mom being like, I'm so proud of you. And only if she only knew that it was just a walk from the cafeteria to the fields at a summer camp just saying, hey, I'd be your volunteer. You know, and he's like, OK, come on on. So although it was easy to kind of I didn't replace anyone, you know, that they, they just didn't have anybody. I do call it my year in residence, you know, bad hours, you know, low pay, but learning more in that one year than probably most of my coaching years combined. Um, Obviously everyone knows Lars is a very smart coach. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever worked with. And I still implement a lot of the stuff I learned from him. And he's still a phone call away when I have some questions about coaching. So yeah, it was great. It was great to be a part of that, uh, you know, the, the division one experience, I think at ultimately it, it, it also showed me that that pace and that level of competitiveness is a little bit above me. I'll be the first to admit uh, it's, you know, from the first day of practice to the last day of the season, when we lost to Princeton in the Ivy league tournament. We never took a day off, um, you know, practice Monday through Friday, or maybe a midweek game, Saturday game, Sunday film. And don't get me wrong. Sunday wasn't hard. It wasn't like you were, digging a ditch, but we never took a day off. And that was uh, something that was very interesting. You have to be very dedicated into that lifestyle. So although I had a blast, I made a lot of friends. Um, 
it was good to see that, you know, maybe full-time coaching or coaching at that level. Cause I probably could have rode the wave and found another D one job or try to climb the ladder slowly, but surely. But I found out that pace just, I just wasn't cut out for it, which is an okay, you know, it was a good thing to find out. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was like what, 2014, 2013, 2014, 12, 12, 2012. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's, and you guys are building right then, right? Cause they, four years later went to the, to championship. So those freshmen were seniors when they went to the final four, right? I I think it was a year off the freshmen, the the seniors in high school were seniors and they went to final four. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a math major, but apparently not. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That's uh, I mean, that's a good thing to find out, right? Like, I mean, I think all of us find those things out, you know, I know I have a family now and I'm not sure I could handle that pace at this stage in my life, but, uh, but it's pretty cool and, and probably a very neat experience. Um, you know, I had the chance to to meet some of the coaches you worked with, Kip and, and Sean Carwin. They were a lot of fun to to talk to and they had some good stories. And Steven, wasn't Steven Boyle there at that time? Yeah, sure. So he was our offensive coordinator who's now at Drexel. Um, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Super smart guy. Super smart guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I have a good feeling that Drexel's going to turn the corner here. He's... If you look at their stats, they haven't won as many games as he'd like, but they're man up and their offense is pretty high up in the ranks of Division One lacrosse. So I have a feeling they're going to turn the corner here. They have obviously Tucker Durkin was is their defensive coordinator this year, so I'm rooting for the Dragons for sure. Yeah, and and I love their their head coach Volker. I've met him a couple times. Yeah. Super nice. Guy. I like his energy and his approach to the game. You know, he's kind of that. Uh, he likes he likes to play a little bit fast and you know, let guys make decisions and make mistakes and learn and, and get better. So by the end of the year, you know, you're almost unscoutable, you know, in terms of what you're exactly doing on offense, which is fun. So, um, so you, you leave Brown, you head to Texas state and, uh, I'm curious how that went for you. Cause Texas state, you guys went to the MCLA championships in 20. I don't remember what year it was. I, I saw you guys play Was that 15, 15. Yeah. yeah. And were you the head coach that were you the, the, second coach to so in 13 and 14 i was the head coach and then in 15 uh, my wife and i had our son well she did i helped (laughs) but she had the son um and i have a full-time job at a different university university of texas san antonio so uh a friend of mine kyle saunders we uh usually agreed to bring him on as the head coach and i would be the associate head coach which meant i got to miss a day of practice per week just to spend a little more time around the house. Uh, and that was the year that um, we went to the MCA tournament. So yeah, he's an, he was an offensive coach did a great job with our offense. We had some absolute studs on offense and then I got to run the defense. So it was really good to have uh, kind of coordinators as kind of co-head coaches. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, there's only one team I've ever seen do that. That was uh, Simon Frazier with Haas. Frazier. And, yeah. And- Jeff Kathria, right? That talk about a throwback. Didn't they play in like the two thousand and two national championship or something? Yeah, Dude. you you go you go further back in the tournament than I do. Yeah, I think it was the year that uh like they upset I know, BYU. I know, they played in the, I know they played in the final four in Denver. Uh maybe it was oh five. Yeah, maybe it was oh five was the year they I don't remember. Anyways. But, uh, yeah, so that was a cool experience. And you guys uh, had a good year. What was that year like for Texas State? Because that was the first year you guys had won the LSA no, in a couple years or they, second year? They, yeah, no, they won it in 10 before I got there. Actually, Kyle, who was the head coach, was an assistant on that team. 
Um, so they won it in 10, took a lump from Michigan as a 16 seed. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the thing about Texas State is, if, you know, it's I always say it's the biggest school that no one's ever heard of. Uh, I think there's it's like 40,000 students now. And um, it's I, I wish I – like talking about going to Buffalo State and having a better experience, if I can go back, Texas State would be high on the list. It wasn't even called that then. It was called Southwest Texas State, which doesn't even make sense because it's not even in the southwest part of the state. Um, but it's a massive university, research university on the side of a hill. Uh, there's a spring-fed river that runs through the middle of campus. The lacrosse team plays on the varsity NCAA girls soccer field. It's a beautiful Bermuda grass. You've, you've seen it. I remember you telling me that your kids at Sonoma didn't know if it was turf or grass or not. We didn't. I mean, we were, we were looking at it. We we're like, is that turf or grass? It was pristine. Beautiful. Yeah, it's, it was, it's unbelievable. Nice. Nicest grass field I have ever played on, and and the setting was incredible. With that, like, it's like uh, the brick that's not super high, so it's like yeah. a little bit high. It, oh, it was awesome. It was super cool. I, the MCLA tournament would a national championship in that venue would be sick. I feel like I agree. Yeah, and it's like it's right in it's like an hour south of Austin, an hour north of San Antonio, so it's right in the middle of two rural or it's urban areas, but it's very it's very rural. The town around it, um, although it's growing like crazy, I feel like the suburbs of Austin are going to start to combine with the suburbs of San Antonio. Um, but it's you know it's it's not relatively hard to get in, although it's getting harder. Uh, there's a million majors, and it's really inexpensive. So I, I, it was easy to recruit. Uh, I got a million kids to go there. I think we had 45 guys in the roster in 2015. You know, oh, wow. you know, I would say majority of them were coming anyways, but you know, a quarter of the team I you know, actually recruited and had them visit and had to kind of convince them to come. So, yeah, that year was great. We started off, we played Colorado and Colorado State in Canyon, <clears throat> Canyon, Texas, up in the Panhandle. Wow. It was 85 on Saturday. It was 23 and snowing on Sunday. <laughs> and UConn came too. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a, a weekend. Just to re, you know, because we, we always try to get creative with out of conference games and avoiding a flight to save right. money. And right. Colorado and Colorado State, I think it was equal distance for the three of us to meet in the middle down there, up there for us, down there for them. And then UConn flew into New Mexico and drove over. So that was the beginning of the season. We, um, and then we kind of had a great year after that. We actually lost to AM in overtime. Uh, one of my, one of our defensemen who I love to death, one that there's, you know, lacrosse is so small in Texas. One of the refs was a former Aggie lacrosse player. Oh, wow. Cause you just can't, you can't avoid that. You know what I mean? There's only so many qualified college guys. And I think in overtime, the kid, the kid called him an F and Aggie after a bad call and he got a non-releasable and we lost. But, <laughs> you know, as we know in the coaching world, sometimes you need one of those losses to kind of set a fire underneath you. And then we, yeah. Then we ran the table the rest of the year. I think we lost. Actually, we lost to Virginia Tech that year. They came to us. Uh, oh, wow. they, had a go- they had a goalie from La Costa Canyon. Yeah, Brian Cooper. Cooper. Yeah, he Brian. Died. Really good oh, player. He's the man. I and love then, Cooper. And then um, we, uh, I think we had an undefeated, you know, conference record besides that A and M game. Uh, and then we had a great weekend up in Dallas. We actually beat SMU by one in the semis, and then beat Texas by like eight or nine in the championship game. Uh, and then, then had to hustle 
and grind on the GoFundMe to get to, uh, and then drove to Irvine, California from San Marcos, Texas on a bus. That's nothing like, but an 18 hour drive or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I think it's 18 or 20. Yeah. Funny, funny note about, uh, about SMU, it's small world. Uh, the current coach of SMU is Jason Gilday. And, uh, he went to the same high school I went to Bishop Ireton high school. Played at Roanoke. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was like, Holy smokes, dude, how did you end up here? And, uh, we ended up playing. We played last year uh, when I was at Sonoma. We played SMU up in Nevada, and uh, it was pretty cool to to have two Ireton guys playing lacrosse and in Nevada of all places. You know, I, I assume you guys were a little spread out in age. Uh, we're about I think five or six years apart. Yeah, so yeah, I think he graduated two or three years before I got there. So yeah, he's a good guy. But, uh, that, yeah, and he runs a chaos lacrosse club. Yep. So we started talking yeah, about we- travel ball a little bit too. So. It was interesting yeah, to, those guys to have that Jason connection. So, so your Texas State story is awesome, and then you you know you head out, you play, you're coaching at Regan, now you're coaching at Alamo Heights, and running the the tacos and the burritos. Uh, you want to give us a little insight into the the tacos? Yeah. So when I got here, there, there you know there was a club you know in uh, in San Antonio, but I just kind of wanted to do my own thing. And uh, actually, the 2016 LSA tournament was in San Antonio. And I was just throwing around behind the field, watching the games with a couple of my players. And I was talking about, hey, I'm going to run a a travel team this summer. What should we call it? And we threw a bunch of names around. And one of the kids, Abe Mullins, goes, what about tacos? And just an absolute light went off in my head. And the first thing, you know, my my graphic design brain turns on and goes, just like Spurs, but the tacos turn sideways into a C. So we um, were high school only. And um, we do... Uh, a summer season and a fall season. And then we run a box league at the end of the summer. It goes into the beginning of the fall. Uh, and we try to, we try to get representation from every high school team in town. Um, and there's a couple of new ones popping up that we're pulling a few kids from. Um, but it's, you know, the one thing I always wanted, you know, when I played uh, select uh, lacrosse in Buffalo, it was always great to have kids from all the other high schools. And then you'd see them on the field in the spring and it just made the game so much more competitive and more fun. And, you're chatting after the game and uh, where are you going to college, all that stuff. And there was there, that community didn't exist when I moved to San Antonio. And I'm always like, you know, and I would talk to my Reagan kids. Sure. I was like, all right, who are, who are sure, the good yeah, players? From that, that connection into the, uh, you know, local high schools banding together to form a team and having it be, you know, the arch rivals playing on the same team in the summers is one of the coolest things. Uh, you know, when I, when I ran one-on-one, I still do, but when I'm running one-on-one up in Petaluma, when Petaluma High School and Casa kids play together in the summers, it's funny to watch them play on the same team because there's just a you know a great rivalry in the springtime, and uh, and you can see that kind of spill over. It's awesome. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, um, cool, man. So hey, let's talk a little bit about history of MCLA and kind of maybe into uh, some of the MCLA experience for a few minutes. We're both MCLA guys, and you know, you've had a chance to to coach in D three and division one and you can probably give us some insight into like those experiences as compared to the mcla um so you know let's just let's just start with like kind of how we met so we met at the at the mcla national championships i believe in like maybe 07 08 something like that probably 09 might have been the first year i went to be honest with you in denver maybe um yeah, because 08, fall of 08 was when I started at secondary, and we got into the LSA. That's and right. And I started to dive into college lax, and then 
kind of reached out to Sonny and said, you know, you, you need broadcasters or he reached out to me. I forget, but, um, you know, I have a broadcasting undergrad, which I've, I used for a little while, decided that wasn't for me, but, uh, took that skill and kind of brought it to the tournament. And I think I've done like eight of the last 10 broadcasted eight of the last 10 tournaments. So I think when yeah. you and you and Sonny were running the broadcast, it's kind of when we hooked up. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That was fun. I mean, it's, uh, it was good to get connected with you, and uh, and we've kind of had a chance to connect ever since, which has been fun. You know, tell us uh, what did you see as a difference between the MCLA and you know, kind of the the Division three experience? Like, what what would be a good way to describe that to players as they're listening to this? Well, I think in a nutshell, there's pros and cons to both. Um, right. You know, if you go to a thirty five forty thousand dollar a year liberal arts college that has lacrosse. You're going to have a trainer at every game. You're going to have people to wash your uniforms. You're going to have a locker. You're going to feel part of the campus. You're going to have, you know, academic help. You're going to have uh, a support system. You're going to have the equipment taken care of for you. Uh, then you go to a state school like a Texas state and you're paying $10,000 a right. year for school, but you don't have all those amenities. And sometimes not having those amenities, I feel, motivates kids more. You know, I'm going to go to practice because I'm paying for the practice. I'm paying for my coach to be there. Um, and I tell people who want to coach MCLA all the time, like, no matter how you, no matter what you, what your opinion is, at the end of the day, the, the kids are your boss. And if you put a ton of, if you put a ton of work in, and if you put a ton of passion and effort and prove to them that you truly do care, you're going to get more from the kids. Whereas maybe at the varsity level, the NCAA level, it's opposite. Sure. You know, where you're recruiting kids and, you know, it's kind of, we need, you know, the coaches are telling the kids, we don't, you know, we don't need you. I'll find somebody else. Whereas right. at the MCL level, sometimes it's, we need these kids. We, you know, frankly, we need their dues. We need, we need, we need scout team guys. We need, uh, you know, more kids to, you know, uh, help out at a community service event. So it's very opposite. It's very uh, juxtapositional, if that's even a word, but uh, it's very the pros and cons are almost opposite of each other. Yeah, it's kind of weird, you know. Like in in the MCLA, you, your entire schedule and everything is driven by your budget, and your budget's driven by your dues, and so your dues is driven by the number of players you have. And it's almost a weird thing in, in that you know some coaches are, are I know are trying to drive their number of their rosters up. Because they need they need forty five players to to cover all the costs of what they're trying to accomplish, and uh, you know it's a tough balance for a coach. And you have to find out, and and, it's, and the players for that matter too, because the players are involved. I mean, I know at Tech we we do the budget together, like so we go over the budget, we talk about it, we you know it's approved by the kids, and and we you know stamp and say, all right, this is our budget, we're gonna work with this. But I mean, it's a lot to it's a lot to manage there, and. You know, it's a lot for kids to decide to play. And, you know, frankly, I had a couple of kids last year not play because they were like, well, you know, I just don't think uh, lacrosse is worth this much money. You know? Yeah. And I was like, I was really bummed out. So I was like, you're, you know, you're a good player. You're a nice young man. I wish you were playing. But, you know, at the end of the day, they have to decide they want to pay it. Because even if you say, hey, you know, don't let money be the reason you don't play, you got to collect it somewhere, right? Like the budget's the budget. So. And I feel like a hundred percent of those kids will regret it because you can you can drink beers the rest of your life. You know? <laughs> you can't play well, college across the rest of your life. I know that's always my spiel. I always tell them like, listen, 
everything you do in college that's not like related to sports, most of that can be done when you're 22 to 26. Uh, but you can't ever have a fraternity of brothers like you do in a team. You know, yeah. it's, there's nothing like it. And uh, I'm like, listen, it's just not the same when you roll up in your minivan to a game. You know, you're not going out afterwards together. You're 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 like, oh yeah, yeah I'll, I'll I'll catch beer with you guys next time. I got you know diapers to to change and dinner to cook and you know whatever else you got to do as a as a dad. Um, so it's a it's a little bit different, but uh, yeah. So the, the division three and and MCL are totally different, but also the same, right? Like there are a lot of similarities between the two. You know, like competitive wise and scheduling is it seems like it's probably pretty similar. Um. You know, what was it like compared to the Division One experience? Well, yeah, the Division One experience is a completely different ball game, right? It's um, and I think we lost Mike here for a second. He should one, probably you know, hop back on. I saw a lot on. of kids get completely uh, burned out. Whereas their senior so this year happens occasionally. Where you know, they said when when the season ends, I'm never going to look at my stick ever again. You know, when you're doing big Mondays where you have a lift, practice, and then film. You know, and you're you're with your you're almost with your teammates too much. You know, right. six days a week, uh, lifting. You know, community service, uh, film, practice, study hall. So, whereas it's 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 really uh, competitive, and from the you know from watching ESPN, it looks awesome. Yet the burnout rate is high, and I'm sure you've noticed. And I sure. noticed that a lot of a lot of Texas kids, you know, they're very good lacrosse players, but they haven't really been challenged here. And when they go off to the Division One level, they're at the bottom of the totem pole, and they've never had to work their way back up. And it's 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 hard to put in those hours and then never get in the game for a year or two. Yeah, no, it's it's incredibly hard. And, and also, I was I was talking to a bunch of the California kids and telling them, you know, hey, you know, they're all like, oh, I'm a multi-sport athlete. I don't play lacrosse in the fall. And I'm like, listen. That's fine. I, I totally embrace that. But if you're not picking up your stick two to three days a week and you want to play Division One lacrosse, I'll tell you right now, there's there's a thousand kids on the East Coast that are your age that are doing that right now. And they're all taking well, it's like I saw a great tweet the other day. I know you I've listened to your podcast and you always seem to bring up the Michael Jordan documentary because it's probably the only thing that's on TV. But I saw a tweet where the guy was like, you know, I just watched Michael Jordan cry about how overly competitive he is and how horribly he treated his teammates because of how competitive he is. Yet I have kids on my lacrosse team who want to play in college yet. They skip practice for driver's ed, <laughs> you know? Oh man. You, do you remember the time when, when no one missed practice? Do you remember that? Like when you were in high school, was it like that? It's funny because I always tell my kids like we, we practice six to eight o'clock at night. Right. Um, and luckily our school gives us a ton of facilities, so that's really convenient. And a lot of, you know, most of my kids don't have to drive from very far, but sure. when I was in high school, the bell rang at two Oh seven and you would walk from one end of the school all the way to the other. You'd take your time. You'd have a sandwich. You'd screw around. You'd, you know, mess around with friends in the locker room. You'd pump some music and then three o'clock stretches started right behind the school. Right. Um, and then five or three to five, you'd practice, you'd get back in the locker room, you'd change. And if you didn't have a car, you'd get on the 530 bus and you're home by six o'clock for dinner. Yep. So you really, you had no excuse to skip practice because, you know, it was, 
it was earlier in the day, so your parents were probably at work. You did, you know, not having a car wasn't an excuse. But what's ironic is I talked to my friend who's the head coach at my high school now, and right. kids are skipping pra- kids are skipping practice. So it's not yeah. club versus varsity, sanctioned versus non-sanctioned. I think it's just uh, generational. Yeah, you know, I I uh, kind of have two schools of thought on this. I think part of it's just generational in terms of just the the players and like and maybe their approach. But I think a, a large part is also just the the parenting, and it's not just the parents. Like I'm I'm as guilty as anyone else of this. You know, we we run, we live in this like permission based society, right? Where we're you know you teach your kids you don't go anywhere without mom and dad's permission, and then you know, if you think about our childhood, like. Mom was like, yeah, it's eight o'clock. Why are you still in the house? Like, I got to go to work. You need to go. I don't know what you need to do, but it's not here. And right. then, you know, you, you obviously you had nothing else to do. So you're like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go to practice, you know? And um, and like you said, it was much kind of easier access. You didn't have as many things going on. And I think kids nowadays, it's like they have school, they have, you know, 80 hours of homework and then they have practice and then they have like, you know, 17 clubs that they have to be a part of. And it's just, I don't know, it's nuts. I feel like it's oh, yeah. There's such a work. there's such an emphasis on having a diversified college resume and being in as right. many extracurriculars as you can at one time. Uh, we struggle with that in my team as well. And um, you know, I, I I don't remember a day in high school where I said, "Ugh, I got to go to lacrosse practice." I remember saying it. I remember saying it often for football. Sure. Probably more often than not, I was a lineman and I played in Buffalo, and it was. 47 degrees 42 degrees and and wet and cloudy and you're just smashing against your friend for two hours that's no fun but i don't literally don't remember a day going oh i have to go to lacrosse practice whereas i can feel it in some of the kids i've coached and i don't know if that's my fault for not making it more fun for him but i certainly have seen it at the college level especially the division one level like i said you know you're doing an ivy league education and six hours of your day is dedicated to lacrosse there's not a lot of time to let off steam. Right. Yeah. We, you know, one of the things we did at Tech this year um, was we went to 90 minute practices. And, you know, I, I, I'll be the first to admit I wasn't perfect at holding that line every single time. Right. But I did, I did try and stay at 90 minutes. We, we have a saying, you know, it's everyone's time's valuable. You know, their time, my time, everyone's time's valuable. And, you know, spending a bunch of hours together just for the sake of being together doesn't make sense. You know, it has to be purposeful. So, you know, we really try to focus our practice plans. We send them out early and, and we've, I've really focused a lot more on just like just competing all the time. Like how do we like teach something, but let the guys like compete with each other. Cause they love it when they're competing and just rousing each other, you know, like that's fun. But right. you know, how do you teach them what you want them to learn while you're doing that? It's that balance is, is what we're always striving for. And uh, we've been trying to do the same thing at one-on-one and we're starting to see a little bit more success with it. But of course, you know, now we've, this COVID's hit and it's like all, all things have changed. You know, you have to rethink everything now because yeah, who knows what we'll have come fall time, you know, or for yeah, us. It's interesting. It's interesting to think of all the things that we have to coach aspects that were never had to be coached for me, if that makes sense. Um, and I think the, one of the, silver linings of the COVID is that when the kids get back on the field, geez, they better be motivated, right? Like I'm going to be motivated to coach harder than I've ever coached before. And I'm going to push kids. And anytime any kid slacks, I'm just going to be like, 
Remember the f- six months where we didn't do anything? Like you, you're, you better make up for lost time here. So I'm hoping that's the one thing we can take out of this. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there, right? It's going to separate the guys who guys and girls who love the game and the guys and girls who just say they love the game. You know, because right. if you love it, you're going to come and compete. You know, and 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 competing doesn't mean you have to be a Division One athlete, right? You can compete at any level. Just you know go go your hardest and then you know there's gonna be guys and girls who just kind of show up and are going through the motions again and you know i think that'll be i think it's good for all sports to be honest in that in that respect like it's it's really putting everyone like you know you this was lost or was potentially lost you know what do you how much is how important is this to you you know so we'll see um but hey man we gotta we gotta wrap this thing up for tonight i gotta i told you i gotta get on a call here in a little minute but um you want to get back on again another day? Dude, anytime. Dude, we should we should do this like once a week. I could talk to you for days. So <laughs> how about how about once a fortnight? I like I like that. Once a fortnight, that's good. We're not gonna play a game, right? That's not there's a game called Fortnite. Well, I knew what that word meant before the video game ever came out. So <laughs> uh yeah. So hey, awesome man. Well, I, I really appreciate having you on. Uh what's the social media handle that guys can follow you on? Uh, well, let's point them to at San Antonio Tacos, Instagram, social, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Um, and then uh, Instagram, I think it's SA underscore burritos. That's our men's team. Bigger, fatter, chunkier, uh, softer. So, uh, yeah, Ta- San Antonio Tacos, SA burritos. That is awesome. I will make sure to put those in the show notes. And, uh, Thanks for coming on today, Mike, and we really appreciate you. And you can follow us on social media at on Instagram at, at 101 underscore lax and on Twitter and Facebook at 101 lacrosse. We sure to have Mike on again, and thanks for listening. Good night.